Good to see everybody here today. Happy Sunday. And for football fans, happy Super Bowl Sunday. Rams fans. Okay, a couple. Bengals. Fans of just any good game. And those who don't care about football. I'll pray for you later. All right. <laughs> Dead to me. All right. Just kidding. That's too harsh. Okay, um, Luke chapter 10, let's go ahead and get there. Luke chapter 10. Yeah, oddly enough, I'm speaking on loving your neighbor, and I was just kind of harsh to some of you there, I apologize. But I am passionate about football. I read a story this week about one of the players for the Rams, and a few years ago, the Rams were in the Super Bowl, and one of the players promised his little girl that after the game, she would get to party in the confetti, but they lost. So after they lost the game, his, he was already upset about it, obviously, and his daughter came up and said, but daddy, you promised I would get to have fun in the confetti. Broke my heart. And now for three years, he's been fighting his way back so that he can avenge the broken promise that he made to his little girl. So that one got me. I'm a Rams fan for today because, you know, I'm a dad, so I understand. Okay, um, Luke chapter 10. Now, today we're going to be looking over the passage of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, this is a passage that many of us have heard probably plenty of times. It's actually one of the most well-known parables in the whole world. I mean, there's so many missions agencies, companies, uh, you know, the Samaritan this and the Samaritan that. Um, many people around the world that don't know the Bible know the story of the Good Samaritan. They've heard it. And today I'm hoping to bring that before us and that uh, God will show himself to you in the story today. Before we go any further, I would just like to have a word of prayer and then we'll dive right into the scriptures. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, this church is your church. This word is your word. And God, this day, this day is truly about you. Nothing else that happens today honestly matters. And God, in the next little while here, we are opening your word and we are going to be fed by it. And God, we know that you give us your word so that we can learn who you are and so that we can be made further into your likeness and, and, and to fall deeper in love with you. And God, I, I ask that that's exactly what would happen here today, is that we would look to you, keep our eyes on you, be inspired by you, fall deeper in love with you, and that we would then go out from this place simply beholding you. God, I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Let's read this passage. We're going to start, uh, like I said, Luke chapter 10, and then we're going to go from verses 25 down to uh, 37. So let's have a look at it together. Verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? One little thing as we go through the story I want you to do. I want you to see who you relate to in the story, Okay. Because I think that's what Jesus wants in this passage. He wants people to relate to this passage. 
I want you to see how you relate to this passage. Think about it as we read through it. Verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Then Jesus says in verse 36, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Has anybody else here ever had neighbor problems? I have. Uh, statistics show that if you have a heartbeat, you've probably had neighbor problems. Okay? I just made that up, just kidding. But neighbor problems are a thing, okay? Most of us will probably deal with them at some point in our life or some sort of relationship problem. And in the state the world is currently in, you might even be asking, well, as stressed out and as anxious and as tired as we all are, how do you come in here and you're going to ask us to do something for someone else on top of the load we're already bearing? It's a good question. I was reading a stat a year, uh, from a study a year ago, and uh, it said that Canadians back in January of last year ranked in the top five of the world for the most sad, the most anxious, and the most anxious people in the world. Top five. At least we reached, almost reached the podium there, right? Not a good thing to reach the podium for. Now, with those numbers in mind, uh, I, I think it's crazy to ask people to consider others as well, but this is what we find in scriptures. We might be feeling spent, we might be feeling our own anxiety, we might be feeling that our resources are thin, but yet, God tells us in his word to consider others. And here's why. It's because he has provided a way that he could come work in us to help us to love those around us. In today's text, we see how Jesus helped the lawyer to change his mind, change his perspective, and then to set him on mission. And just like the lawyer in this text, Jesus is hoping today to change your perspective so that he can set you on mission to love those around you. So what does it mean to let the gospel shape the way that we love our neighbors? The text today shows us three truths about loving our neighbors. First of all, we're going to jump right in. 
get to point number one, we're going to see the command. And we see this in our first few verses of the passage, verses 25 to 28. The command. Let's just go through it a little bit, um, phrase by phrase. So the lawyer is standing up to Jesus, and it says he wants to put him to the test. Now, here's the setting. Lawyer, we think civil law. This is a religious lawyer, okay? He was a man that knew the religious law really well. So he's one of these religious elite guys. And he's looking to catch Jesus in a a little situation here. He wants to dismantle Jesus. He's heard rumors and little things about Jesus about, oh my goodness, Jesus, this guy, he says he's of God, but he, he breaks bread with sinners and publicans, okay? The word, if you ever see sinners in the Bible, it's a nice way of saying people that sell their bodies on the streets. You know what I'm saying, okay? So you can imagine these religious elite people saying, Jesus says he's a religious man, he's of God, but how is it that he even puts himself in the company of others like this? My goodness. So he's looking to test Jesus because he wants to dismantle him. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, to the dismay of the lawyer, a man of the law, a man who's high on truth, low on grace, moralist, religious man, okay? Jesus says, what's in the law? Jesus immediately goes to what the truth is. This man, from the text here, we think he was probably getting at the point where he thought, well, if Jesus is having dinner with these people and he's associating himself with all these other terrible sinners, then surely he's going to come up with an answer of, well, hey, we're all accepted by God and everything's okay and People can find their own way to him and just be kind. That's not the answer that Jesus had. Jesus, to the dismay of the lawyer, went straight back to the scriptures, the truth. He said, what do the scriptures say? What's written in the law? And now this how do you read it part that we see in this uh, passage here, that's basically like Jesus saying, what's your spark notes on it? And they, would, they came up with this little phrase, this this thing that the lawyer said to answer Jesus, this wasn't original with the lawyer. It wasn't like the lawyer just came up with it right on the spot. Um, scholars, historians say that this was a phrase that was generally accepted. It was, it was almost something that he, the lawyer would have recited here. Love the Lord, uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says that all the law can hang on these two things, loving God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus agrees with them. He says, you're right, go and do this. Now once again, the lawyer at this point would have been confused. And that's why we see in the next verse it says, but he desiring to justify himself. Okay? He was confused by Jesus' answer here because he wasn't expecting this. Jesus is going to the law and saying, the law is good. But here's the thing, because Jesus is brilliant, okay? and he has a fuller understanding of the scriptures than anyone, obviously. Because Jesus knew that the law was a good way to live, but it was not the way to life. Because when you are trying to live the law, the Bible says that the law is there so that we all realize that we have need of a Savior. And there's only one who would ever perfectly live according to the law, and that's Jesus. The law is there as a way to live, but not the way to life. Because the way to life is when you try to live the law and you realize you're not good enough and you need a Savior. And that's Jesus. This passage here, we see the command. Now, Archbishop uh, William Temple, um, he had a phrase that summed up this passage a little bit here, loving God with all your heart and soul and mind. 
And he would say something like this, your religion is what you do with your solitude. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. Nowadays, we don't even get too much solitude. If we have solitude for a moment, we typically, you know, pull this out. You're in the doctor's office, waiting room, whatever. Even if you're on, you know, an elevator going from the first floor to the second, people are like, oh, awkward silence. Well, you know, jump straight on them, right? We don't like solitude hardly these days. But William Temple says, where does your mind go when it has a chance to wander? That's your religion. Does it immediately go to the greatness of God, his graciousness, his mercy? I don't know about you. I struggle with that one. I'm thinking about the real estate market and COVID news and, and the Olympics and, as I already told you, football. And my mind goes to many different places. But religion here, it's what you do with your solitude. So what then is your religion? What is it that you are making to be the guidebook of your life? Jesus gave us his word here so that we might be changed by it and live by it. Not only do we see the command to love our neighbors here, but also we see the cost. That comes in verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, these lawyers, remember, these are like the scholarly guys. They, they spent their days just arguing and debating about the finer points of the law. And whoever was the best at debating kind of got to win and got to be the, the best arguer. How awesome, right? So this guy is doing a nice uh, scholarly move of saying, Jesus, define your terms. Well, neighbor, what do you mean by neighbor? But also in this, we kind of get the gist that this man is thinking, Jesus, what is the bare minimum standard, okay? If I have to love my neighbor, what's the smallest amount that I can give to get by and still be worthy of paradise? The lawyer is trying to get by, but Jesus says, there is a cost. Now, this is not a cost of salvation. Salvation is a free gift. But Jesus is making a point here that if you truly love God, that one of the fruits that comes out of you is that you will want to help serve other people. Embrace the cost. Learn that it's okay to be radically generous. The Bible teaches that there are two kinds of trees. Let's say it's in the middle of summer. There's a tree here on this side and a tree here on this side. This one, full of leaves, fruit. This one, barren. Which one is alive? Obviously, the one with the trees and the fruit. Do the, the trees and the fruit, the leaves and the fruit, okay? Do the, does the fruit give the tree life? No, but it's a sign that there's life there. And Jesus is saying, one of the fruits that's going to come out of you uh, when you are marked with the gospel is that generosity is going to come out. Loving your neighbor as yourself means that you're going to labor to help others. You're going to bear their burdens, and you're going to be happy about their happiness. He could have just said, love your neighbors, but that little phrase there, love your neighbors as yourself, means that you chase after helping others with all of the, the fervor and the passion that you take care of your own self. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor back in the um, 1740s in uh, New England. And 
he mentioned how his church at times was struggling with what he was calling charity and generosity. And he would say that the people would come up with a couple things of uh, people that they shouldn't have to help. Here's, here's a list of people that we shouldn't have to be generous to. So the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself, but here are some people that we don't have to be generous to. And they were saying, now these people are people that we can be generous to. They say only if they were truly poor. But Jonathan Edwards would come back and say, but that doesn't fit the gospel and, and what the Bible says about taking care of one as you take care of yourself. We worry about our own financial situation long before we get truly destitute. Then why don't we worry about others before they are truly destitute? Then his church and congregation would say, well, they should only get charity as long as they truly deserve it. Okay? That's a tricky one, isn't it? Well, if I give that person my money, they're just going to go waste it anyways, so why? Why, why give? Or, you know what, I don't mind giving to family, friends, people in my own congregation, but those people out there, I actually know something about that family. That they're the family that has that one problem and they got the kid that did the thing. We, we shouldn't have to give to them. They don't deserve it. Jonathan Edwards reminded his church that what is free grace then? What is the gospel? What has Jesus done for you? Did you deserve the gift of grace that Jesus bestowed upon you? The answer is no. If Jesus was coming just to give himself for people that deserved it, he could have saved himself the trip, because none of us do. But he came, had mercy, compassion, and gave us something that we did not deserve. In this passage here, we look down in the next few verses. We see that Jesus teaches us not to be cheap and the cost of giving with others. He tells us um, the who, the when, and the how much of whom we should give to. Jump down to verse uh, 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal brought him to an inn in and took care of him. Now, Jesus is obviously extremely wise. He's great with his words. And he chose the people in this parable for a good reason, because he knew that the lawyer would be able to relate to the story. Okay? The fact that Jesus chose the man, the lawyer, to be the Jew that was downtrodden in the story and that he needed help from a Samaritan was a big deal. Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. That's the who, the Samaritan. Different race, different um, nationality, different uh, maybe financial class, okay? Maybe um, different political party. Jesus says, these people are the people that we need to love. It's easy to give to friends and family, those you can relate to, but Jesus teaches to go beyond that. And a few chapters before, Jesus in uh, Luke uh, chapter 6 even teaches in the passage, what good is it to you to do good to those who do good to you or to love those that love you? Sinners, and when he uses the word sinners, he's speaking about people that don't know Christ. He says, sinners do the same thing. They love people who love them. They do good to people who do good to them. What good is that? And then he en encourages people on the bottom of that passage. Um, he says, 
and be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Um, he goes on, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind and merciful. He's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That's who Jesus is to people who are unlike him. Kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And Jesus challenges us to be the same. That's the who. We see that through the Samaritan. Also through the Samaritan, we see the when of who we should give to. The Samaritan, the fact that he's a Samaritan, again, brings up this idea of somebody who is deserving of grace. Back in those days, this is not an individualistic, uh, individualistic culture, okay? This is uh, two groups, the Samaritans, the Jews. They both hated each other. They did not like each other. They both thought that the other group taught blasphemy, okay? So they would, when they would see each other in the, the street and... Jesus knew this about this story. That's why he told it this way. He would say, if he saw that uh, Samaritan coming by and the, Jew was, the tables were turned and the Jew saw the Samaritan down, he would say, you deserve what you got. It's good that you got beaten up. It's good that you got left for dead. You deserve this because of the things you've probably done in your life and what your people have done to our people. So when? Are we generous to people only when they are deserving or when they are not? Free grace says that we be generous even when people are not deserving of that grace. Because people, it wouldn't be grace if they were deserving of it, right? Sometimes it's easy to give when something random happens. Like, oh, a tornado struck their house or uh, a tsunami or some sort of relief fund like that is, can be easy to give to. But what about when they're a difficult person to love? What about when you know the family history or they have a reputation that's maybe not the best. Are we willing to be generous when it is their fault? Sometimes it's easy for us to go like this. We say, well, they uh, made their bed, now they're sleeping in it, or well, they dug their own grave on that one, or why should I have to pay for their decisions? Tough, isn't it? Then we see the how much. Jesus, once again, super wise in the way he told this story. This road that the man was walking on and the parable, there was a passage on this road that was known as the Pass of Blood, okay? Uh, historians have looked it up, and they say that there were lots of caves, lots of hills, um, low visibility. Basically, it was a fantastic place to do a good mugging, okay? And guys would come into this little Pass of Blood. People knew what that place was. It was like known by the people that traveled this road a lot. And they knew that it was risky going there. Okay? Sometimes what would happen, thieves would come to this passive blood. They would leave somebody half dead, use that person as bait. And if somebody came to help that person, the thieves would jump out and then get that group of people that came to help. Okay? So when we look at the priest and the Levite, they passed by on the other side. They stayed clear of this situation. Guess what? Logically, they did the smart thing. That's the crazy part about this passage. This is why Jesus almost has me dumbfounded on this thing. They did the logical thing. They're putting the Samaritan to go help this man who wasn't even of his tribe, class, whatever. He actually put himself at great risk to go and help somebody from the other tribe. It, almost make, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make logical sense. 
Jesus is calling us to this radical generosity. He's willing to do it even when it was dangerous. From this passage, Jesus teaches us that it can't be costly to follow him. The Bible tells us to consider and to count the cost. One of those costs is, is that when the gospel penetrates your heart and as God sanctifies you and makes you more like him, you will be moved with compassion and it will cost you because you'll not be able to help yourself from being kind to others. So the question here is, have you considered the cost of following Jesus? We must realize that a natural part of genuine salvation is radical generosity. So not only do we see the command and the cost, but also, finally, we see the catalyst. Now, um, a catalyst is a good high school science word, and some of us haven't been in high school uh, in a while, some more than others, that's okay. But here's my, my scholarly quote on what a catalyst is. A catalyst is something that when it is added to something, it makes that something do something, okay? So catalyst helps something do something when it gets added to it. Today we're gonna see the catalyst for being kind to our neighbor. What is it that comes into our life that helps us do the thing that God wants us to do? Because if you're like me, uh, I relate to what I opened with, with saying, I'm already stretched thin enough. Can I honestly have time, money, mercy on anybody else other than, I mean, it's hard enough raising my own kids. It's hard enough getting by on my own. How can I go help others now? But here's the catalyst, and it's so important. Jesus gives us three catalysts for being able to love our neighbors as ourselves in this story. Now, here's the thing. One of them works, the other two don't. Okay? Tertullian was a Christian writer in the second and third centuries, and he said something um, that has blown my mind about the gospel. He said this, just as Christ was crucified between two thieves, so this doctrine of justification is ever crucified between two opposite errors. So I thought we could use that as like a little object thing up there, okay? We have Jesus up in the center, two thieves on the opposite sides, okay? The opposite sides are this. We see it right here in our story today. I'll actually just tell it to you through the story. First, we see the irreligious crowd. Look at the story with me. Uh, Verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. We have irreligious people here, the robbers, the thieves. These people... High on grace, low on truth, no law, (laughs) okay? They are, let's put them on that little cross over there. Irreligious, a thief of the gospel. See, the gospel is perfectly balanced with grace and truth. The Bible supports this fact in uh, Colossians 1.6, okay? The gospel of Jesus Christ is grace and truth coming together in perfect harmony. But the irreligious over here They're happy about grace and just letting things slide and do what feels right to you. There doesn't have to be absolute truth. There is no law. We can do what makes us feel good. We see that in the thieves here. They did what worked for them even at the cost of somebody else. Then we see the religious crowd. This is moralism, okay? This is is hoping that works will get you and 
good cahoots with the Lord. Uh, verse 34. So he went, oh, sorry, I jumped down too far. Um, verse 31. Now by chance, this is, this is crazy, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Watch this. He passed by on the other side. So right now we're 0 for 1 with the religious crowd. Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. <laughs> over two. I wonder what this man who was beaten down left for dead thought. Oh, good. Somebody, some of my people are coming. You know, the, <laughs> the crazy thing is, is that the priests and the Levites were the ones who were responsible for distributing the uh, monies to the poor. Okay? So this guy might have seen them coming and thought, oh, I'm saved. And then the first guy passes over and thinks, oh my, this isn't good. I really need help. Second guy from his tribe comes, hey, what are the odds that in the same day a priest and a Levi are walking by me? Surely I'm going to be good on this one. Guy passes by on the other side, 0 for 2. You know what God's teaching us here? People who are on this cross, another thief of the gospel, they're balanced high on truth, but they're low on grace. They're imbalanced as well. These people are motivated by guilt. Either the, the, they're achieving their standards so they think they're high above everybody else and God owes them some sort of good life, or they're not doing good enough at achieving the standards of the Bible so they are self-deflating, don't feel good about themselves, feel constantly horrible about themselves because they're never good enough to actually achieve what the Bible says. God is teaching us here in this passage that the people who even have it in black and white take care of the poor when it comes down to it they passed over the man on the other side. It wasn't good enough. Then we see the Samaritan. Now, in case you haven't noticed, this guy's not motivated by grace and he's not motivated by a polar opposite of guilt. He's right in the middle and he's motivated by the gospel. Perfect balance of grace and truth. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. It goes on to say, uh, he took care of him, paid money. A little fun fact there, two denarii is two days labor, okay? He really dug deep into his pockets to help somebody he didn't even know. Somebody that he had no business helping. Remember, opposite tribe, Samaritan, Jew. We see a perfect picture of the gospel here. This is the catalyst that works for being able to love your neighbor. If you're motivated by moralism and loving your neighbor because the Bible says so, and it's a guilt. It's, hey, you're all doing so well, and they're all doing so bad. Don't you feel terrible for them? Now give. Doesn't work too well, does it? But someone that can balance that truth and grace is Jesus Christ, and he gives it to us in a gift of the gospel. The only way that we're ever going to love others properly is if we allow the gospel to have power in our daily lives. 
allowing a good fresh look, guys, a good fresh look at the gospel, renewing it in your life, allowing it to do something in here right now is gonna change the way you think. When you change the way you think, here I'm going into biblical counselor mode. When you change the way you think, you change the way you act. And when those actions start becoming habits, they become behavior. But it starts in here. It starts with your beliefs, it starts with your theology, it starts with your faith. And if we ever truly want that catalyst that's gonna push us forward and propel us to do what God wants us to do, it starts right here and it starts right there, the gospel. And let that thing be a sign right there, that cross, that every time you see that, sometimes we see them so much around places, it might be nothing to us or we become a bit callous to it. I'm right in that boat. But man, would this scripture here be a reminder to us that every time we look at that cross right there, Remember that there's opposites that don't get the job done, but there's one in the center that balances grace and truth together in the gospel. And what Jesus did for us is he gave his all. And we, when we accept that in our heart, when we renew that, it changes the way we think, which will change the way that we act and behave. And then we can be on mission for Christ. Then it is possible to give even though we're already taxed even though we already have our own issues. Why? At the beginning of this message, I asked you as we read through the passage to see who you relate to in the story. Just keep that person in your mind. The answer of who we are supposed to relate to is kind of the lawyer, but Jesus made the lawyer in the story the man who was downtrodden. Stripped, beaten, left for dead, destitute, and hoping for an act of free grace. That's who we are to relate to in that story. Because that's who we are. We're people that without any help from someone who should have done nothing but judge us, someone who had no business with us whatsoever. The Bible says in Romans that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible likens that in Romans as well that we were like his enemies, and yet he died for us. Enemies, Samaritan, Jew. Jesus is giving the perfect picture of the gospel here in this passage, guys. We were the one that was needing an act of free grace, and Jesus came and answered the call. Let that settle in your heart. Now, if you haven't ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm telling you, you need to. It's the only way to live. If you already have in the past, but maybe the busyness of life or some other things have got your vision clouded to that and you've forgotten that, can I ask you to let the scriptures here today, allow them to renew the gospel in your heart. Use that as a, a lens with which you see your daily life. The gospel is the only sufficient catalyst with which is going to help us to change our hearts, affect our minds, and then our actions. We need the gospel. In closing, there was a Roman emperor. His name is Julian. And he was upset because the Christians of the early church were taking over, and he didn't like it. And it's quoted from historians that he said something along the lines of this. The Christians, they take care of their own. They take care of their own poor 
and they take care of everybody else's poor. People are leaving our religion of, of Rome and the Greeks because they couldn't understand why Christians were being so kind even to people who opposed them. They're being kind to people who are in the other camps. They're being kind to people who are different than them. They're being kind to people who maybe even scared them a little bit. How could those early Christians do it? Because of the power of the gospel. It's the same thing that Jesus did for us. We were in a bad off spot. He helped us. And they allowed that to fuel their generosity to others around them. The lawyer in our story today, he argued with Jesus about the law. But Jesus wanted to speak to his heart. That's what this has all been about today. Jesus does not just want to give you a list of do's and don'ts. He wants this. You want to know why I know that? Because Jesus could have told the story another way. If we flip the story on its head to where the Samaritan was downtrodden and poor, and the Jew, the lawyer, was going by on his steed, and Jesus said, if you see that man that's down there destitute, you ought to help him. What's that motivation by? Guilt. Do, do, do. Feel guilty about not helping somebody that you should. The Jew, the lawyer, he probably would have said, yeah, I'll maybe back my steed over his head. That's my mercy, putting him out of his misery. I'm not a traitor to my people. He would have thought Jesus was crazy for telling him to help somebody that's a Samaritan. But Jesus so wisely, wanting to teach to the heart instead of giving a list of do's and don'ts, he flipped the script. And he put the Jew on the ground, needing an act of free grace from somebody who should have opposed him. And that was us with the gospel. When we go out and do kind in the city of St. Thomas Church, when we go out and do kind things and generous things in Elmer and the surrounding cities, when people ask you why you do something kind, is it, well, the guy at the thing told me I had to. <laughs> no. Well, the church said, no. The Bible said, no. Here's what it is. I'll help you out. It's when you see somebody who's homeless, when you see somebody who's blitzed out on drugs, when you see somebody who's bad off and destitute and in need of an act of free grace, an act of love with no strings attached, it's this. Hey, I know what it's like to be in a bad spot. I know what it's like to need help from somebody else. And I received it. And that's why I'm being kind to you today. Because somebody showed me the way. Today I came to speak to you, to your heart, about loving your neighbor. Have you forgotten to keep the gospel narrative as the lens which with you see your daily life? I'm encouraging everyone in this church today to remember who you are in the gospel and who it empowers you to be. When the gospel perspective changed the lawyer's heart in our story, he was able to identify, Jesus changed the question on him and said, who was a neighbor to the man? The lawyer squeaked out, uh, the one who showed him mercy. Church, I pray that Redemption St. Thomas, that we would be ones that show others mercy. In the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the end of our passage today, I pray that you will go and do likewise.
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, guilt, we know, will never get the job done. An imbalanced gospel will never get the job done. Lord, only you, the one who perfectly balanced truth and grace together, can change our hearts, can renew our minds, and can give us the power and strength to go out and give beyond ourselves to help others in need. God, I pray that we would be ones who show mercy. God, help us to find a way to remember the gospel every day and to remember who we are in the gospel. We were once lost. Lord, just seeing it in the songs that we sang this morning, God, the, the gospel theme of we were lost, we were beggars, now we're royalty. God, you have taken us from such a terrible place needing an act of free grace, and you came and you did it. And Lord, at your own risk, you paid the ultimate cost. You are the true and great Samaritan God. We thank you for coming. We thank you for reaching down all the way, even though you didn't have to. We thank you for loving us. And God, we pray that this love, this mercy, this grace that you have shown us will now play out into our community as we love others. In Jesus' name.